Green on the Progressive Radio Network. And I have a great show for all of you today. My guest will be Raul Nieto. He is the director of the Itayapoa Project in Colombia and Ecuador. And I might be pronouncing that wrong, but he'll correct me when he comes on in just a little bit. But first, I want to share with you some things going on in and around the news, some ways you can take action, and of course, share my weekly recipe with all of you. So first, um, I want to just say I've been talking about this workshop that's coming up for weeks now, and um, it is finally here. Tomorrow, Slow Food North Shore, which is the local slow food chapter that I um, am chair of, we are hosting a hometown flower collective flower arranging workshop. And I didn't realize there was such a thing as slow flowers, but there absolutely is. And the Hometown Flower Collective um, is a real supporter of the slow flower movement. And so all the flowers on the flower bar that we will be using to create our beautiful arrangements are all local and seasonal flowers. So it's really exciting. We still have a few spaces left. It's from 6.30 to 8 p.m. So if you're interested, send an email to info at slowfoodnorthshore.org. Again, that's info at slowfoodnorthshore.org. And so um, there's some things I want to talk to you about that ways that you can take some action. Um, there's been a lot of info in the news lately about potassium promate. And if you look at most of the bread, the um, commercial produced bread and baked goods, they all contain potassium promate, which is a common food additive. And it's been linked to cancer for a long time, but we don't know about it because the Food and Drug Administration hasn't even looked at the studies or reviewed this chemical since 1973. And they still allow um, potassium promate in our foods. It is, um, it is banned in many, many countries. Um, including Brazil, the United Kingdom, Canada, Canada, and the whole European Union. And yet we still have it here. And um, our Food and Drug Administration, as we know, has just not been doing a good job at really protecting us. It's almost up to the public when they add something to the food for us to prove to them that it's not healthy before they take it out, as opposed to them doing their job and making sure it's healthy before they allow it in. But anyway, the Environmental Working Group, which is an organization I tell you about a lot, um, you can find them on the web at ewg.org. They are really working to um, try to push through some legislation to, um, to keep this chemical and many of the other chemicals out of our food. And I heard something just on the news last night as I was going to bed and I actually don't have that information right here, but I believe they actually just passed um, some new regulation to make some of these forever chemicals and potassium promate that are in our foods. Um, they just lowered the level of acceptability, which means basically it's not acceptable and they're admitting that these foods are not healthy or these chemicals are not healthy and we need to get them out of our foods. But in the meantime, you can protect yourself. The Environmental Working Group has lots of scorecard cards um, telling you which chemicals to avoid and how to avoid them. So check that out. There's the Chemical Reassessment Act of 2021 um, that we're trying to push through. That's the Food Chemical Reassessment Act of 2021. Um, and I put a link on my website where you can sign up to um, let your voice be heard. 
And another thing that is coming up and has a lot of controversy around it is this ban on faux gras that is coming up in New York. Starting in November, faux gras will not be allowed to be served in restaurants in New York City. Um, and many chefs have a hard time with that, as well as some of the farmers that are um, raising the ducks and the geese to make faux gras. And for those that don't know, faux gras is a delicacy. It's a mousse type of, um, mousse type of appetizer that's very rich and buttery. Um, and the way it's created is by force feeding ducks and geese through a funnel in order to fatten up their livers. And it's really inhumane. Um, animal activists have been fighting to, um, to make this practice illegal. And it's really happening now. It's going to be banned in New York starting in November. There are some lawsuits from the farmers who are saying it will ruin their livelihood. Um, my suggestion is that they find another livelihood because it really is an inhumane act, raising ducks and geese and force feeding them like this. So check out the articles that I have um, on my website at iegreen.com and you can comment on them. The recipe I want to share with you today is grilling fruit. Um, you know, we are entering into summer where we're outside a lot and we're at the grill and grilling fruit is really a wonderful, wonderful dessert to add to your barbecue and it's simple to do. And this is a um, grilled fruit with a rum molasses glaze. And I'm going to suggest using some bananas, some pineapples, some mangoes. You can also do this peaches and apples. But basically, you're going to cut the fruit down in half lengthwise. For pineapples, you're going to cut them into slices about a half inch thick. For mangoes, you're going to cut it in half, take out the pits, and slice that up. Um, and then you're going to rub down the grill with some oil. You're going to make a glaze with a, a quarter cup of dark rum, a quarter cup of organic pomegranate molasses, a quarter cup of coconut oil, and two tablespoons of lime juice. And just combine those ingredients in a saucepan and just allow all of the, you know, let them meld together and let those flavors come together. And to grill it, you're going to brush the fruit with some oil, spray the grill wrap, and lay the cut side down on the grilling rack and cook it over the fire for about two minutes, not too high a heat. Um, then you're gonna flip the fruit over, brush it with the glaze and cook for another minute. And the glaze will caramelize on the fruit. And it's just so simple and so delicious. And I really recommend you try it. And you know, try it with lots of different kinds of fruit. It's really delicious. And now it's my pleasure to introduce to you all my guest, Raul Nieto, is a biologist and director of the Itayapoa Project, which is based in the Choco region of Colombia and Ecuador. He's been working on this project since 1989. And the Itayapoa Project combines scientific research with conservation and the culture of the region. And the goal of this project, and he will tell us more about it, is to really save the habitat for the, um, lot, the animals that live there, especially the amphibians um, who are in danger of extinction, um, to do some more research about the area and to help the people cultivate organic cacao 
in the deforested areas in order to make a living. Um, they are also trying to fight the planting of the African palms, um, which is ruining the rainforest there. And he will tell us more about it in just a minute as he comes on. So Raul, are you with me? Raul, you need to unmute yourself. Ah, he must have disappeared for a little bit. I'll tell you more about um, the project, the rainforest, the chocolate that, to save the rainforest. Um, they are growing cacao. Ah, Raul, you're back. Great. Um, can you? Are you hey, hello. Yeah, okay, perfect. Perfect. So I thought you could start by um, telling us first, how did you get involved in starting up this project? What is your background? Uh, well, I am a, well, first of all, I thank you for inviting me for, to your show. You're welcome. And um, getting involved uh, with, uh, with our fight here. Um, well, I, uh, I am a biologist. Actually, I was born in New York, but I was raised in South America. And my first experience with the rainforest in the region where I work was, was as, a, as a child. So um, yeah, since then, I always loved the rainforest. And, um, uh, once I went to, to, to college, I studied biology and a few years later, I decided to go back visited or I, I, I would spend time with my grandparents during my childhood and buy a piece of land to do research there. Uh-huh. And when was that? What year? And that was in 1998. Okay. And so, I'm sorry, 1989. I'm sorry. And, and that's when you started this project, right? 1989? Yes, 1989. I bought the first uh, research <coughs> in, uh, near a town called Puerto Quito in, uh, in, the, um, in the west of the Andes. Well, at first, I work in the Chocó region. Most of the people think that the only rainforest in South America is the Amazon. But on the west of the Andes, from the, from the Pacific Ocean to the Andes, and, then, and from the south of Panama to the north of Ecuador, uh, we have this uh, region called Chocó. It's one of the most uh, biodiverse regions uh, in the world per square kilometer. Uh, meaning that we have more species than uh, even the Amazon per, per square kilometer, and it's um, highly endangered. So I bought my first uh, reserve in Puerto Quito, and uh, from then I have been expanding my project uh, to the whole region of, uh, of, uh, of the Chocó. In, in Colombia and Ecuador, and the north of Ecuador. Uh-huh. So where your land is, that's in the north of Ecuador, correct? Yes. I have uh, uh, two reserves near the Colombian border. Uh-huh. And so what are, the main, what are the main challenges facing that region? What, are, what is um, ruining the rainforest there? Well, it's... Um, 
it basically depends on the on, on the area. Um, the um, what began to 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 uh, destroy the forest was the law that was implemented in the in the sixties in all these countries. Uh, that law was uh, kind of supported by the the U.S. government through a program created by President Kennedy called Alliance for the Progress. A part of that uh, project or, or that or that program meant to be, uh, I mean, to to take away the land from the rich people and give it to the poor people uh, for production. Uh, however, the rich people in these countries are the owners of the land, so they opened the jungles. And in Ecuador, uh, uh, thousands of families were called from other regions to um, settle in, in the Chocó region as well as the, in, in, in the Amazon basin. And each family was given 50 hectares of, of land. So the jungle was practically all divided and the government forced them to forest in order to get the, the deeds. Oh. Otherwise, the government would take the land away and give it to somebody else. It was this uh, criminal law that appeared. And then a lot of companies came, especially one that their terms Helped uh, um, the uh, the people, yeah, and of course it was a business that made them uh, um, multimillionaire, and um, that keeps going on until now. So what we have of the rainforest in Ecuador uh, um, on the on the region on the Chocó region is less than two percent of forest intact. And the rest, once the the, um, the the forest was cut down, it was uh, became uh, African palm uh, uh, trees for uh, palm oil production uh, for uh, various products like mainly uh, uh, packed products like potato chips, like Doritos, um, packed. And after 2003, when the European Union um, thought that it was a good idea to replace, um, they, they gave to expand even more the, the uh, the palm oil plantation, uh, uh, those, um, uh, 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 that money into the, the, the their uh, daughter companies in, in all the tropical countries to plant more and more palm oil, I mean, African palm. Uh, so that was a big problem here in Ecuador and a big problem in some regions of Colombia. Um, in Colombia, it's an, a little I'm losing you a little bit. We don't have a the great connection. Uh, process over there. The, you hear me now? I can Hello? hear you. Sometimes you it me? goes in and out. Yeah. 
yes uh, yeah let me let me see if uh, okay let me try something else it's uh, can you hear me now better yeah i can hear you yeah so in colombia the process has been a little bit no you're frozen since um, um yeah You still there? Raul, I'm not, I lost you again. Everyone bear with us with some technical difficulties. Raul's in South America right now. So I guess the Zoom connection is not so good. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you right now. Hello? I can hear you. Yep. It's good now? Yep. Okay, so what I was uh, saying is that in, um, in, in Colombia, the process was a little bit different. Even though in the 60s, the same sort of uh, strategy began to give um, poor people the land, uh, the subversives didn't allow all these big companies to come into their territories. So most of the, of the rainforest was preserved there until um, after the, the peace talks, when uh, one of the guerrilla groups um, um, signed an agreement, and all of a sudden, the process of deforestation uh, from um, many uh, directions uh, began to create a bigger problem. And the biggest problem in, in Colombia is is uh, land for production of illicit uh, crops. So the jungle over there is being destroyed mainly for cocaine production and marijuana production. Uh -huh. Yeah, although also in Colombia, it's a big problem of palm, uh, palm oil. And, and um, I mean, African palm. Uh-huh. And who are the companies coming in? Um, the companies coming in planting all the African palms, do they pay a certain amount of money to the landowner? Is that how the landowner's been making money, or are they just land grabbing and taking the land and not paying them anything? Ah, uh, we're having problems. Um, many times... Um, can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so the main problem is uh, um, is that is a very corrupt business. It's uh, even it has uh, many human rights violations in the in the in the rights of the people living in the in the areas. First, they try to convince the people to cut down everything and plant African palm. Uh, if they don't do it, practically they force them to leave their, their, their lands. That's in the, in the settlers in, in, that have been living in the region. But there is also communities, uh, Afro communities and indigenous communities that have um, uh, community land given by the government since the 70s in Ecuador and Colombia.
And uh, these companies come and they make uh, obscure deals with the leaders, telling them that opening the roads, selling the wood is going to be beneficial for them. And after planting African palm, they are going to have work. And of course, at the beginning, they have work because, um, you know, for uh, putting seedlings in the, in the bags, transporting the bags, planting the bags. But once the, 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 the plantations are established, uh, they don't need them anymore. So they are fired and they end up leaving the people of this communities end up living in very, you know, so there's, there's different problems going on here. Like the first one is, of course, the loss of biodiversity, you know, and uh, we, we know that uh, there is lots of species that we, uh, we never learned from them. We, we don't know what we have lost already. We are still losing a lot of amount of, of species uh, from, uh, from all these processes of, of destruction of, of forests. And uh, then we have the loss of the community, the, the culture of the communities, because once they, the, normally these communities are linked culturally to their environment. So they have uh, uh, poems about the environment, they have uh, music about the environment, mainly uh, all their lives is, uh, uh, is um, based on what, on their connection to their, their, their surroundings. So once that's gone, the culture is gone also. And the other biggest problem is that they, they lose food sovereignty. The new generations don't know what uh, their parents or the grandparents used to eat because there is nothing. It's only uh, palm oil, um, uh, African palm plantations and, uh, and nothing else. So on one hand, they convince the settlers to, to cut down the forest and plant African palm. On the other hand, they buy the land very cheap from communities to plant African palm, the, the companies, but then everybody is poor. And, and now uh, African palm uh, has a virus and most of the plantations are dying. So it's very sad to see that from one of the most biodiverse regions uh, on the world, uh, we, go, we went to African palm and now there is nothing because African palm practically uh, certified the, the, the land, dr uh, dries the soil, and uh, is, is a really big uh, ecological mess going on here. Yeah, well, that's part of the problem always with monoculture, right? If, if it gets a disease, it wipes everything out. It's one of the reasons that, um, you know, so many organic farmers really um, plant diverse crops so that if one doesn't do well, they have something else to fall back on. Um, so are the companies that are coming in from, are they um, international companies, American companies, African companies, Chinese companies? Where, where's most of the land grabbing coming from? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to move a little because uh, I think the signal is very, very, very weak here. So okay. just give me one second. Sure, I'd love that. <laughs> we can improve the signal, that would be good. Yeah. Everyone who's just joining us, I'm talking with Raul. 
Nieto. Am I saying your name properly, Nieto? Yes, it is. Thank you. <laughs> okay, and how do you say the project properly? Ita Itapoa? Itapoa. Itapoa, okay. Itapoa. Itapoa. Yes. All right, great. Okay, let's see if we have better okay, so um, I reception. Your, yes. Okay, so I couldn't hear your last question. Okay, so I was asking if the companies that are doing the land grabbing, are they US companies, international companies, are they Chinese, African, where, where are the companies coming from that are doing all the land grabbing? Most of, okay, uh, the first big uh, palm, uh, African palm plantations appeared in, um, in uh, Indonesia, in Malaysia, in, uh, at the beginning of uh, <laughs> the 20th century. And uh, in the 70s, they expanded uh, with local companies in, uh, in uh, South America. So most of the companies, uh, you must know this, uh, most people think that uh, the biggest problem about growing African palm is in Indonesia, for example, because of the orangutans. However, they are the, the, the ones that commercialize the, the palm oil all over the world. So that many people think that all of the oil, the palm oil is coming from Indonesia, but actually the companies of Indonesia are the ones buying the oil from all over the world and selling it to, to, to the rest of the world, to, uh. to Europe and, and North America. So it's basically uh, local companies subsidized or, or um, money injected by big Indonesian companies. And those big Indonesian companies also have um, uh, big partners in Europe and the US. So like, uh, for example, Kraft, Nestle, um, Ferrero Rocher, all, all these huge, huge uh, um, uh, food packing companies. Yeah, mm -hmm. or, or processed food things, yeah, rather. Uh-huh. And they also use palm oil for biodiesel, don't they? Yes, they, that was the, the, the biggest problem after 2003 when the European um, community, uh, um, uh, according to Kyoto Protocol, uh, decided to lower down the, the CO2 uh, emissions to the atmosphere. And they thought that the best way to do it, it was to replace uh, by 2000, if I don't, I'm not uh, incorrect, if I remember well, by 2005, they had to replace 5% of, of their diesel tanks with biodiesel, and by 2020, 10%. Uh, and of course, that lowers down the emissions of, of CO2 in the atmosphere uh, by 0.1%, or 1%, sorry. Uh, however, they didn't know that in the process of making that, uh, let's say, liter or, or, or uh, gallon of, of diesel, uh, um, they were going to emit more than 900 times uh, CO2 uh, um, molecules uh, to the atmosphere than, uh, than uh, just making diesel. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's the same, the same, of, same issue with making ethanol, right? They, they yeah, cut the, the gasoline with ethanol and it takes more, you create more emissions creating ethanol than you're saving yes, by, that, yeah. 
yeah, so, that, 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 that's, uh, that's true. So in, in that, those 900 times more emissions to the atmosphere is not counting the, with the loss of the biodiversity or with all the carbon trapped in trees. That's only in the process of planting biodiverse uh, uh, African palm and transforming it to, to biodiesel. It, you know, so it's, <coughs> it is a thought that probably um, by in the whole process from, from uh, cutting down the forest to having that liter of, uh, of uh, biodiesel, you have uh, emitted to the atmosphere 10,000 times more than just using diesel, regular diesel. Uh-huh. Yeah. So if, if that information is out there, why haven't they changed the law? Well, in, in 2007 or, or six, I think, I began to go and, uh, and give conferences about this in Europe. And with other people that were also concerned, uh, they pre uh, pressured somehow the, 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 the governments. And now uh, they know that it wasn't a good idea. So they are not putting that pressure on, on, on the land anymore. Uh, however, here locally, the uh, African palm oil, uh, they keep telling the people that's the, uh, the solution for uh, global warming and, and climate change, uh, which is a big lie. They just right. want more, more uh, uh, oil to, to, to sell. Uh-huh. Yes. So tell us more about your project. How are you getting the word out? I know you're also very involved in saving the amphetamines and the, the frogs and all the uh, life that lives there, the animal yes. life. Can you talk about that? Well, yes. What um, Itapua Project does uh, right now is uh, um, research uh, with amphibians and reptiles. And... Um, through seeing these in, in, in the forest, I realized that, you know, we cannot blame the local people for, for cutting down the forest or um, being part <laughs> of the destruction. They need opportunities. So besides doing research, mainly in poison frogs or dark frogs that are very, very important and very uh, culturally linked to the, to the area, uh, because that's another important uh, fact is that most people think that uh, the the poison frogs for for, for the uh, blogons are from the Amazon, and actually in in the Amazon um, these frogs live, but not the most uh, the ones used for for uh, for darts. They live in the Chocó in a region, and the vertebrate that. Uh, uh, has um, more uh, toxins in the world. Actually, is a frog that lives in uh, in the area where I work. It's called Philobates terribilis, and the people from the region were the ones that used to use that um, um, skin secretion to put in darts and hunt. So. Um, it's very important for the region also uh, the preservation of these of these uh, of these uh, frogs. So what I do is uh, I pick regions where there is uh, endangered amphibians or dart frogs or glass frogs especially. And uh, in 2005, I thought that since the people are are not completely responsible for for um, uh, damaging their environment because of their 
uh, need to survive, uh, they needed a crop that would be uh, native to the area to grow in a more friendly way with our uh, surroundings. So I began a project called Chocolate to Save the Rainforest. And uh, it meant to help them plant uh, cacao trees in fields that they already deforested before I went in to work with these communities. Uh, so that was one of the, of the, um, of the main reasons. Wait, are they planting, I'm sorry, are they planting the cacao trees next to the palm trees or? Oh, they, no, 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 no. They, uh, we don't use, uh, uh, um, well, sometimes that there could be some palm oil plantation nearby, but uh, mostly uh, it's cattle ranches in, uh, in, in Ecuador. And uh, in, um, in Colombia is uh, coca fields. So in a way we are replacing that with, with uh, cacao and that cacao is uh, grown in a, in, a, um, in a technique called, um, um, it's like going back to traditional uh, uh, agriculture where people have many things in the same piece of land, but here it's an, an additive, which is the the, uh, the economical part of the uh, of or the finan financial part of, of the families to help them, uh, you know, to buy uh, whatever they need. Because uh, this moment in, in the world, you know, we cannot ba go back to 500 years ago. Everybody needs money, even to even if they die. You know, you need money to 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 go through all the process. You know, to right. be buried. So, so it's a it's a fantasy to think that we have to go back and live like we did it before. You know, so they these families um, they need an income in order to survive. So here, what we do is plant um, um, uh, in this way, which is called analogous forestry, where you have a main crop that will give them that uh, uh, cash for their pockets to buy food that they don't grow or they need to buy um, um, uh, books for the children, uh, clothes, uh, medicine, and uh, even to buy coffins, I mean, you know, for everything. Mm -hmm. So uh, that would be the main crop. And uh, um, yeah, next to these uh, trees also, they grow fruit trees that help them uh, with, um, you know, with, with their food to, to, to eat. And also they have trees that will eventually help them to use them in case they want to replace a window or, or a door in the house. Uh, it is not easy to do this, you know, because there is a lot of pressure from, uh, from uh, the, the consuming <laughs> point of view. So everybody needs more than that, you know. Uh, we all need cell phones. We all need um, many things that uh, that are there in the market. So you cannot deny these things for these people. So um, it's a kind of competition between the the this new world that they are trying to to recreate and jazz intensive uh, uh, agriculture. So we I buy the 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 cacao from them. You know, in in uh, good prices, uh, sometimes even double that than the regular price, the the dry cacao seeds, and I have a small factory where we make chocolate and other 
uh, other products from cacao. And uh, we tried to find markets uh, that will pay good in, in, uh, in other parts of the world. So we can bring more uh, uh, help for the people. We can bring more money for the project to the research and um, try to preserve the, the, the land around uh, these communities. So the main, the main, um, um, the main point is to um, protect endangered uh, frog species uh, through helping the communities to have an income, so they won't cut uh, primary forests anymore, right. or sell their land to these big logging companies or these. Uh, big palm oil companies or banana companies or other, uh, or also illegal mining. Uh-huh. You know, there's been a lot of um, attention being put to paying people a living wage. And I know in the chocolate industry, especially when you're talking about Kraft and Nestle, there's been a lot of exploitation in the chocolate industry, in, um, you know, child labor laws and things like that. What are you doing in your region to protect children from being exploited or, you know, women to being exploited in the manufacturing or in the producing of cacao? Well, uh, it is hard not to have the help of children when there is a family trying to survive, you know, it, it's, besides, that's part of the of the culture to sit around, so you know whatever they are doing, and everybody being involved. So, like in these small communities, you have children collecting cacao, helping dry the cacao, and everything. But it's kind of a, a different uh, way of um, of uh, doing it traditionally than rather than being a big company, you know, uh, hiring. Uh, children uh, to do that job and not that's not only in cacao that's also in African palm you know there is a lot of children being hired or women with very low um, uh, um, being paid very little and uh, and and working in the fields very long hours right so uh, what we do here you know the whole family is involved of course you know there there's children helping you know and uh, but on, on the other hand, in the, these big companies are normally um, exploiting children and women for for these long hours of uh, of labor and paying them very little. Uh huh. Mm. Right. Yeah, I've seen um, I've seen pictures of it. You know, when cacao is being harvested and people are doing it communally, almost people are sitting around in a circle and working together. Um, I think yeah. that's what you're talking about. Um. So how much chocolate are you producing and what other products are you producing? Well, from chocolate, we get, uh, first of all, um, if you are familiar with fruit, the fruit, when it's fresh, it has a, a, a pulp that's, that's uh, white and it's juicy. So we collect that pulp, part of that pulp, and then we cook it. And uh, we get uh, some sort of, um, of um, uh, cacao honey, we call it. But it's good for salads. It, it's like a, a, um, a, a salad dressing, a kind of uh, um, 
honey. Then we have uh, neeps from cacao. We have uh, cacao powder. We make pure chocolate to make hot chocolate or to cook. And then we have uh, uh, different percentages of chocolate. Basically, we work uh, with uh, 50, uh, 75%, and 100%. Uh, but we are able to to uh, to work with, uh, you know, or to make any kind of percentages of chocolate in our factory. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, I know one of the things you talked about before, you mentioned about music. And I know when I was looking at your website, you actually opened a music school of traditional music. Can you talk to us about the music and how important the music is to the region? Yes. Um, Well, as I was telling you before, um, their expression, these are very happy people living there, especially the, the, the Afro communities. Uh, which they were, uh, uh, they went there after they were free, and uh, made their own. They they went. They made their own communities there. Yes, and uh, um, so whatever they do in their lives, they sing to it, from the minute they are born to the minute they die, and even nine nine days later, you know. <laughs> So everything is surrounded is surrounded by music. It's very happy music. It's called uh, um, it's marimba music, which is called traditional music of the Pacific uh, side of Colombia and Ecuador or, or in north of Ecuador. And um, they they are losing that that part of that very important part of the culture because um, once they they lose their forest, and, and that is very, very um, 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 we can see it clearly here in Ecuador, where most of the land became African palm for years, and now the young uh, people are ashamed of their own music, of their own culture. You know? In Colombia, it's still intact. The jungles are in, still intact, so the music is very, very um, very important for their, for, you know, for their uh, communities. However, we also see that there is new uh, impact from other um, other sources coming in and uh, becoming a f- kind of a fight of uh, uh, between like the the traditional ways of of expressing themselves and, and the new waves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, the music is practically played with marimba, which is a little bit different of the marimba from from uh, from Central America, and um, and uh, it's called marimba de chonta, and all the 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 wood were, um, uh, that the marimba is made is everything, and even the, and and the drums are all from the rainforest. It's uh, so that's also the problem. If they lose the forest, they also lose the, you know, the the way of making their own instruments. Uh huh. Right. Right. So, um, what is your project doing to actually help educate not just the local people in order to protect the land, you know, so that they understand that you don't want the African palm, but what are you also doing to educate the larger community beyond the rainforest 
Uh, well, um, we teach children to. So one of one of the main the main goals here is to make people understand what the importance of their of their surroundings, right? So. Um, it's uh, that word that's called empowerment, you know. So it's discovering what they have in their, in in their land, you know. Uh, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm moving a little bit the, the computer. It's going to get disconnected. Okay, no, I'm, I'm fine. So it's basically um, trying to to make them connect again. To, to their surroundings. Sometimes they are afraid of many things. They are afraid of snakes. They are afraid of the of the of the uh, of the frogs. They are afraid of the animals. But once they understand that um, they are the the, the less uh, dangerous things in the world, you know, and and they begin to to love that, uh, they protect their land. You know, once and, and we work a lot with children especially uh, with other biologists and friends uh, doing bird watching, going out to do uh, frog watching, reptile watching, and, um, and also older people uh, get involved. And, um, and it's very important for them because they also begin to connect uh, with their um, traditions and with their uh, uh, elder, you know, right. they they begin to to realize that their world is connected to nature, and all that, all those tales and and all those stories and everything uh, are part of nature, and that's very important for them. Right. Right. Um... Oh, just had something I wanted to ask. Um, what about all the birds in the region? Or do you also um, study the different birds? Because I just, I just know, you know, when I've gone to, um, you know, Central America, you know, one of the things that I love most is seeing all the beautiful birds um, that live in the yeah, rainforest. Well, Yes, uh, Colombia is uh, the number one country in the world uh, with um, with most uh, uh, species of birds. It's almost uh, it's more than one thousand nine hundred uh, birds in Colombia, uh, and Ecuador is I think the third country uh, with most birds in the world. I think it's coming close to one thousand three hundred <laughs> species. Wow. Now the, the Chocó region, uh, which is west of the Andes, as I told you before, that has I think about uh, only that region, which is I will say the size of of New York State or even smaller, uh, has almost 800 species of birds. Only one department in Colombia, uh, uh, which is Valle del Cauca has, uh, which is like a province or, or state, uh, has 700 species of birds. So birds are like everywhere. There is, you know, and they are very important to connect to the people in order to get also an income 
and uh, and uh, protect the land. Because I would think the birds uh, obviously are very affected when you knock down a rainforest and just put off African palms. Those are very different types yeah. of trees. So where do they go? Do they adapt to living in the African palms or do they have to move and find somewhere else to go? Well, sometimes they make a joke, you know, about them. Uh, of course, there is birds that uh, eat the fruit of uh, African palm. And I say, well, probably those birds will die of heart attacks, you know, <laughs> very, 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 very soon. Because, you know, African palm, uh, the fruit is really, really oily. It's very oily. So what, what happens is that uh, somehow um, what we've seen uh, is the transition. Like the rainforest uh, birds, they go farther up, you know, like they get deeper into the jungle that's left. The rest die. And, uh, and birds from other regions, you know, coming, like from drier areas, from, uh, yeah, especially from dry areas of the south, like most of the south of Ecuador and north of Peru. They, they come in to take, um, to replace the ones that can no longer survive in, 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 the, in those areas. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> now I know your project, you also host tourists coming there, right? You have places for people to stay and people come and volunteer. Can you talk to my listeners a little bit about those programs that you have there? Yes, well, uh, there is different things that people can do can do here. One is uh, helping the children in school, you know, of the communities where I work. Uh, if they are into bird watching or, or nature, they can help them um, uh, with that too, like uh, teaching the kids to get involved with, uh, with um, uh, the conservation of the area. Uh, um, we need people to to help them, um, oh, to help the communities uh, plant the cacao trees, harvest the cacao trees. So it's kind of a, a learning experience for for them too. So it's a, a, a two way thing uh, going on. You know, they they learn from each other, and uh, they also teach them words in English that might be helpful for people coming to do bird watching later. And uh, and so on, yes. So and that's basically what we need volunteers for. But also we have um, um, internships of students coming to do research with us uh, in um, in any aspect of the rainforest. Not only in frogs or reptiles, but also we have. The students come in to study the ecology, the geography. Uh, they they volunteer to do mapping, and help. Uh, they help us to do um, research with uh, uh, also birds, with plants, uh, mosses, and everything. So it's uh, it is it is a big uh, uh, rainbow of options to help in the region. Mm -hmm. And you have a hostel, so is that just for tourists to come, or the people who come and stay there are also expected to volunteer? Because I'm seeing pictures that are just beautiful, um, uh, thank you know, you. right on the water. Yeah, it is. Uh, the hostel is uh, a little bit outside of this uh, Chocó region. It's a little bit to the south, and it's uh, next to a national park 
where it's called the Galapagos for the poor because uh, it's the same kind of uh, ecosystem as the Galapagos without the, the some of the animals like the tortoises or, or the marine iguanas and others. But we have the same um, ecosystem of, as Galapagos and it's a season for whale watching also. Uh, so they, during, right now we are, uh, you know, we are in, in that season, you know, um, whales, humpback whales come from the Antarctic during this year, this time of the year and stay for three or four months in the, in the area. So people come to do also whale watching here. Uh -huh. And what we do here is the factory of making chocolate is here. So people help come here and help us also making chocolate. So that could be another option of doing volunteering. Uh-huh. Um, you know, on your website, you have so many pictures of different frogs. How many frog species ex live in the rainforest where you are? Well, uh, every day, <coughs> almost every week, we are finding new species in the region. You know, but there's many, many areas unexplored, you know, especially in Colombia. So I think right now, we are up to 300 species uh, of frogs in the Chocó region. Uh-huh. And how many of them are poisonous? Uh, uh, species that are belong to the family of uh, dendrobites, those are the, the, the poison frogs, are, uh, and it's divided in two parts, like the ones that are rocket frogs and the ones that are really poison frogs. So I will say that out of those uh, 300 species, I will assume that maybe almost 70 or 80 species will be will belong to this family of, of uh, poison frogs. Wow. And, and, and they have a very a, a particular uh, aspect, which is that uh, they are diurnal. They, they are active during the day and they have parental care. You know, if you see the logo of, uh, of, uh, of Itapoa project, uh, it has a yellow frog, which is the most toxic frog in the, uh, or the most toxic vertebrate in the world, is where the indigenous people used to get the, 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 the poison for the dark frogs. And it has two tadpoles on the back. So, the, and, and, and that's the male. The male normally carries the tadpole on the back until he's ready to, to to go to metamorphosis, so the, the, the father looks for a little, um, 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 I don't know, little uh, watering leaves, and they deposit the tadpoles there, and they become uh, adult frogs. So that's a very particular aspect of, of frogs, you know, being you know, having parental care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Um... I assume that all the cacao that you're growing is being grown in a sustainable way without pesticides and herbicides, that kind of thing. Yes, yeah. we, we do it completely organic. We don't put any pesticides. And all, as I was telling you before, it, it is grown together with other crops. But the palm trees, um, are they spraying those? Yeah, the, the, especially now that this this, this big um, virus disease uh, going on, yeah, they try to spray everything. 
Yeah, so and another thing that is a very big lie, it's there is no sustainable palm oil production. Right, right, I know, I've heard of that, and I, I'm sure. Yeah, because the uh, palm, uh, African palm tree is huge. It takes uh, over 81 uh, square meters, uh, which is about almost 200 feet. And uh, they don't produce all year round. So you need a big space in order to get uh, one liter of palm, uh, of palm oil in order to, be, to become productive or, or in order to survive out of that um, uh, crop. So you need to, a huge area in order to, to, make it, to make some profit out of it. Yeah, I because saw on your website some unbelievable number of like, you know, for 2,500 rainforest trees, you can only plant something like 150 palm trees or some, some number like that. It was ridiculous how many of the rainforest trees came down in order to plant the palm trees. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're talking about mature uh, primary forest trees. Uh, you have about 2,000 per hectare. Yeah, be, in, uh, in, in next to it, you have, you know, all sizes of trees. So it's right. like thousands and thousands of trees and other plants and herbs and everything. And those are replaced with only 157 uh, palm trees. Right, right. I remember reading that. It was amazing. It's yeah. crazy. Anyway, so order, go ahead. Yeah, so in order to make a living out of uh, African palm, a, a decent living, you need at least 50 hectares. Huh. So that's hundreds of thousands of trees gone. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I just want to thank you so much, Raul, for joining me today and for the work that you're doing, because it's such important work. Um, before we run out of time, can you just share with my listeners how they can learn more about the Itapoa project and um, where they can get in touch with you if need be? Well, we have a, a website, uh, which is itapoaproject.com, and you have all the contacts there, and also you can learn about uh, all, all, all the parts that, um, yeah, that the project does, everything yeah. that we do in the It's in a the beautiful project. website, everyone. It's itapoa project.com. Okay. Now, thank, you very much. thank you so much for joining me. Everyone who's been listening, thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you all again next week. Have a great rest of the week. Bye for now. Bye.